It's a good-looking crowd for a Monday night. Many of you have worked hard today and you're tired. I want to do this tonight. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read a few selected verses. You know, some of the most difficult portions of Scripture to preach from are familiar text. And the reason why I say that tonight is because in the familiar text of the Bible, many times we take for granted people already know the story, so we kind of skip part of the story, not realizing that there are people out there that have not heard part of the story. And uh, and so we try to, because of that, and also familiar texts, we don't preach uh, many times or we stay away from them because we think, well, that's old hat. And people already know that. But you know, every now and then you'll get to study something out of your Bible and the Spirit of God will show you something you've never seen before. And I have preached for 25 years, going on 26 years now, and I have used this portion of Scripture in youth meetings. I have used this portion of Scripture in uh, in church meetings. I used it when I pastored. I've used it in evangelistic rallies, but I have never preached it the way I'm going to preach it to you tonight. Uh, I want to look at this story. I'm not, I know chapter 17 has got 40, maybe 50 some odd verses, and there's no way I'd be exegetical tonight and be fair to you and get you home before midnight. But if I'm going to preach in about 25 minutes, I'm going to take a selected portion of this, and I want to preach to you tonight on I am an overcomer. Can I just stop and tell you tonight, the truth of the matter is seven times to seven letters in the book of Revelation, he ended with this statement, he that overcometh. And the truth of the matter is, some of those people in those letters weren't doing very well. As a matter of fact, many of those letters, God pointed out their faults and their frailties and their failures. But God always ended each letter by saying, it's possible to still be an overcomer. You may have a bad past, but God still wants you to have a great future. You and me say amen. Your present may seem hopeless, but God's looking ahead to where you're going to be one day, and he says, one day everything will work out for my honor and for my glory and for your benefit. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that, I feel a little preach coming on in here tonight, than he that is in the world. And God wants you to be an overcomer in every area of your Christian walk. He don't want you to have one area whipped and be deficient in another area. He wants you to be a full, well-rounded child of God, living in victory every step of the journey. Can I get a witness? Amen. (laughs) Oh, yeah, go ahead. Y'all clap tonight. You might help me preach better. Amen. But with that thought in mind, I want to talk about being an overcomer in our duty. Every person here tonight, it is possible for you to live to the fullest in the place God called you and be an overcomer. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 and 1. Are you with me? Say amen. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Soko, which belongeth to Judah. Judah was one of the 12. The land had been designated to Judah and we find now that the children of Israel find themselves standing on the on the soles of Judah. The Bible said, and they pitched between a region called Soko and Azekah in F.S. Damon. So down the valley just a little ways was a place called Soko. Down the valley a little way the other direction was a place called Azekah. And the region they were standing in in that valley was called F.S. 
Damon, don't you ever for one minute think the Holy Ghost put something in the Bible by accident. Don't you ever for one minute as you study your Bible excuse something because you think it's irrelevant. The Spirit of God told us the exact location where they fought. And he went a little step further. He told, he told us that the, the location just north of it was Soko, and the location just south of it was Azekah, and the region in between was called F.S. Damon. Why are you saying that? Hang on, we'll tell you in a moment. Look at verse number two. The Bible said, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. Verse 3, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Now you got this valley running through the middle, and on the mountain on one side you got the Philistines. Look what the Bible says. And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. So you got Israel on one mountain. You got the Philistines on the other mountain. You got a valley running through the middle. Where they're standing, it's called F.S. Damon. Just a little ways down the valley, it's called Soko. And a little way the other direction, it's called Azekah. And you got the children of Israel on one mountain, the Philistines on another. And then the Bible picks up the narrative, and it says in verse number Two, and they set their battle in the ray. Verse three, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel on the mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. The King James Bible breaks it down and that's cubit and a span. Let me just stop and say, this guy was two inches from his head hitting the basketball rim. Two more inches and his head would have scrubbed the bottom of the rim of a basketball goal. This was a big dude. Now, I'm not going to read how heavy and what his armor looked like, but let me just throw this in for extra credit. Maybe y'all consider this later in the offering. <laughs> 180 pounds. Somewhere around 180 pounds was what his outfit weighed that he wore. So he wasn't a scrawny dude. He was tall. He was almost 10 foot tall. He carried armor that weighed almost 200 pounds. They said the head of his spear weighed 50 pounds by itself. And this guy standing down in the valley, right in between the Philistines, the people he's for, and the Israelites, and the Bible picks the narrative back up in verse number 8. The Bible said he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, you servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines. I notice the next part of this verse. They were, what's the word, church? And the last two words, greatly afraid. The people of God are up on one mountaintop up there and when Goliath for 40 days, we're going to read in, in the next verse, verse 16, stands there and for 40 days, morning and evening, says, I defy the armies of the living God. Send somebody down to fight with me. The Bible said that the children of Israel were dismayed 
and greatly afraid. Look at verse 16. Just a couple more verses and we'll preach. The Bible said, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and pre- presented himself 40 days. So, for, by the way, the number 40 in your Bible is a number of testing. Jesus was fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was driven out into that wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The number 40 in your Bible is a number of testing. And so the Bible says that for 40 days and 40 nights, every morning, every night, every morning, every night, every morning, that's all they heard. They heard this guy down in the valley belching threats. They heard this guy down in the valley hollering and saying, send somebody to fight with me. Don't you know the Bible says that they they gave evidence of how they felt in the previous verses. It said they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now notice verse number 23. I've got two more verses and we're preaching. The Bible said it as he talked with them. Behold, there came up a chance the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. I love these next four words. And David heard them. Somebody was listening. Somebody heard what the devil said down in that valley. Somebody paid attention to the threats he was belching to the people of God. David heard them. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel... When they saw the man, fled from him, and were, the last two words, say it with me, sore afraid. Now, this is what I pick up out of this preacher. I preach in a myriad of ways you have too. We've heard it preached backwards and forwards, up, down, sideways. We've heard every kind of angle you can have. But here's what I noticed when I studied this this year. I noticed that in this portion of Scripture, the Bible says on several occasions that the people of God on one mountain were scared to death. There was a giant standing in the valley threatening the people of God, and it says the people of God were given evidence, their knees were knocking, their eyes were fearful, because it says on several occasions they were afraid or they were dismayed. Now let me stop and tell you, that's a picture of what we're, where we are today. The people of God are on one mountain, and the enemy's on the other, and the devil's messenger is right down in the valley, and every morning and every night he gets up and he throws his threats at you. He belches out how sorry you are. How you'll never amount to anything. How you're a low down sack of nothing in God's sight and he don't want to use you. He'd never use you and why don't you come fight with me and we're the same way. We're up on the mountainside and we are paralyzed with fear. We are paralyzed with fright. We are paralyzed to the point that it's affected the very function of our life. Can I stop and tell you Here's my question. Why, if the enemy knew they had the upper hand, did they not go up that mountain and whip the the Israelites? Three reasons in this portion of Scripture why you and I can say tonight we're more than conquerors in our duties. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God. I pray, God, that you will energize every thought, I pray that every word will be fitly spoken as, 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 as apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Lord, let them be placed so fitly that it looks right. It feels right. Oh, God, would you anoint your servant. God, I have had some difficult days the last few days. And, oh, God, you're bringing me through it. I'm on the other side of it. And I'm asking you, God, to not let me dwell on that in my thinking while I preach, but let me dwell on the victory I have in Jesus. Oh, God, give me grace tonight.
God to preach. Let me fight the good fight of faith. Let God's people leave out of here, Lord, ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Swinging on a, a rotten cornstalk over the flame of hell. Oh, God, give us that kind of power, that kind of resolve tonight. Give us that kind of strength tonight, God, to convey truth. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. And all God's children said, Amen. As I looked at this, I told you that the Bible teaches us here that there was a location. The Bible said that this particular region was called Judah. Judah, if you remember, was a, a boy that was born out of a sorrowful time in the life of a young lady. And she named him Judah because his name means son of my praise. Listen, let me stop and tell you, the people of God have lost their shout. Hey, the truth of the matter is we've lost our ability to shout and the devil has paralyzed. Hey, there's one thing the devil doesn't like. He doesn't like a Christian that's got shout in him. Amen? You say, preacher, I'm not a shouter. I I'm just an amen or under my breath. That's fine, but he don't even want that. He don't want you getting happy. He don't want you rejoicing. So it's interesting that the region they fought in was supposed to be a region where you could shout and give God the victory just based on the mere name of the land. But the Bible says that the people of God found themselves in a little region and one end of that valley was called Soko and the other end of that valley was called Azekah. The word Soko, I looked it up, means entwined. The word Azekah means entangled. The children of God found themselves entwined and entangled in a region where their shout had gone. Had, they had lost their shout. Their shout had turned to a pout. Their shout had turned to fear. Their shout had turned to anxiety and worry. As a matter of fact, they were so uptight that Saul was searching for anybody to fight with Goliath and nobody would take him up on it. Finally, when the boy later took him up on it. He tried to put his armor on him. You remember David tried to put on Saul's armor, but he could not do it because he essayed to go, and the Bible said he had not proved them, and so he put them off of him. Literally, I believe that David looked like a, a little small infant piled up in that bunch of tin of Saul, and David said, I don't need this. I just need the weaponry of the Lord. And so David walked down there in the faith that he had possessed by previous victories, and the little sling in his hand with the power of God, and walked down in the midst of that valley and challenged the enemy that had thwarted and had, uh, had accosted the people of God for 40 days morning and night. But the Bible tells us this. By the way, some of you find yourself entangled and entwined tonight. Some of you find yourself in between confusion and entanglement. You find yourself in a region where you can't find victory. You go to your right and it seems to be just as bad as it is on your left. And so you're paralyzed with fear like the people of God were. Hey, God never intended for you to live in fear. You and me say amen. The Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Let me repeat that to you. For God hath not given us. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible the truth? Absolutely. And so here's what the Bible says. If you're scared, it ain't from God. If you're living in fear, it's not originated from heaven. It's originating out of their pit of hell. And the people of God found themselves dismayed and afraid. I looked the word afraid up right before I came up to preach. I thank God for Google. Thank God for iPhones. And I Googled the word afraid, and this is what the definition of afraid is. The word afraid is defined as this. The feeling of fear or anxiety, it means this. It means to be frightened. It means to be scared. It means to be terrified. It means to be 
tearful or fearful. It means to be petrified. It means to be scared to death. It means to be terror stricken. It means to be terror struck. It means to be frightened out of one's wits. It means to be scared of the ones out of the one's wits or it means to be shaken in one's shoes. It means that you're worried about something undesirable or something undesirable will occur. Hey, the word dismayed, I took the liberty to look it up. The word dismayed, because this is what the people of God were, it's, it means to be alarmed. It means to be bewildered. It means to be bothered. It means to be confounded. It means to be cowardly. It means to be distraught. It means to be faint-hearted. It means to be intimidated. And it means to be panicky. They were panicky. They were faint-hearted. They were intimidated by the presence of the enemy the same way you are tonight. Every time the devil sticks his head up and tries to whisper something in your ears, you get scared and terrified and petrified and terror-stricken and scared out of your wits and you start reacting according to the working of the flesh and God never intended for you to live that way. Can I get a witness? Give God some glory in the house of God if you agree with that. Here's my question. You're going to like this because I'm fitting to preach. I thought you were. No, all oh, that's just introduction. Y'all with me say amen. Why in the world, if the enemy had the upper hand, did they not move through that valley? There was a little region called F.S. Damon. You know, the Bible words will interest you when you study them. Now, there was a little brook flowing through there. Let me explain to you about that brook. That brook was the same brook that David will later in the story walk down to. We'll kneel down in the brook, pick up five smooth stones, and why did he get five? Who knows? I've heard so many different stories. He got five because Goliath may have had four other brothers. He got five because it was a number of grace. Some say the number of death. I don't know why he got five, but he picked up five, threw them in that bag. They were about as big as a baseball. He threw them in that little bag he had. He reached down there, stepped across that brook, and went and met with the giant. Now, let me stop and tell you this. Why would that giant not advance up the side of that mountain if he had the upper hand? I mean, they were scared to death. Nobody would fight with him. I mean, for 40 days and 40 nights, after all, he could, he could very well just marched up the side of the mountain and they'd all ran and they'd have won the victory. But why did he not advance? Here's the reason why. I did a little study on this and I found out that that little region that they were fighting in, today, if you'll go and, and Google that part of the world, it's, it's defined as Beit Fasid. B-E-I-T. I don't pronounce it right. I'm not Jewish. So I don't have the, the Jewish pronunciation. And the word Fasid, that, that's what that region is called today. And the word Beit Fasid means house of bleeding. And the reason why it's named that is because that region had seen so much bloodshed and so much warfare that many lives had been lost and much blood had been shed in the souls of that region. That's why it's called Bad Facet. But then the Bible says it was called F.S. Damon and I went to my little Google. I love Google. Y'all let me say amen. And I typed in define the word F.S. Damon and according to the Bible dictionary that I pulled up, the word... F.S. Damon. I want you to say that with me. F.S. Damon. Say it one more time. F.S. Damon. That little word means boundary of the blood. And the very, oh, I got happy. Oh, I got happy. I found out that the reason why that Goliath wouldn't even go across that brook. 
is because that region was de- defined as F.S. Damon, me and boundary of the blood. And, and I found out this, the Philistines were very superstitious people. You remember when they took the Ark of the Covenant, they thought that they'd get a special blessing if they put it in the house of Dagon, their God. And remember every day they came back to the house, Dagon was on his face, his hands were on the ground, he was falling apart. <laughs> Imagine later on when Goliath is cursing David by his gods with a little G, David might have replied and said, what God you talking about, the one that can't keep his head on, Dagon? <laughs> Whoa! But here's what I want to tell you tonight. Hey, the truth of the matter is the reason why you're an overcoming your duty and the devil cannot thwart you if you're a child of God is because there is an unseen boundary called the blood. And hell might tantalize you. Hell might taunt you from the other side. But the hell's not coming through the boundary. Hell's not coming through the blood. I say what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you holy? again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know what I've made my mind up? For the next however many years God gives me to preach, I'm just going to stand on the blood. I'm not taking the blood out of my music. I'm not taking it out of my preaching. Why? Because it was the blood that got me out of the mud. Can I get on it and say amen? And the blood is an unseen boundary that's drawn between you and the Philistines. The Philistines were so superstitious is what they tell me. They tell me that there have been so many people shed so much bloodshed in that region that the brook flowed red. But the reason why it flowed red upon deeper study is because it was red clay and every time the soldiers would walk, they would turn the clay with their cleek feet and it would it would give the tint of redness and it would wash off in that brook and so that brook flowed red. And so the Philistines would not advance. They would they wanted them to come they wanted they wanted the people of God to come to them. That's the only way the devil can get to you is if you submit to him his voice if you come to where he is because he can't come to where you are as a child of God because I've been, listen to me, I've been given an unseen boundary drawn by the hand of God and thank God when he covered me in the blood I didn't get just a little sprinkle I didn't get just a little cup full, I got covered from head to toe and everything about me is under the blood, can I get a witness say amen (laughs) Woo! hallelujah I'm glad to report to you I'm an overcomer tonight in my duty because of an unseen boundary. Can I just stop for a minute? Let's just take a, let's use your sanctified imagination for a few minutes. Can we do that? Say amen. Let's just think about the blood and the power it possesses in the word of God. You remember way back in the Old Testament when the people of God were in Egypt. Egypt's a tight picture of sin and way back there in that in that uh, in that environment where they were living they were living in a place that had them captive they they whipped them they beat them they kept them under their thumb and one day God raised up a deliverer ain't you glad for people like Moses that was willing to listen to God it took a while but he heard the voice of God and he headed into Egypt he walked into the presence of Pharaoh Pharaoh said what do you want he said God God said, let his people go. And for, listen, nine calling cards that he had to lay down from God. Finally, on the 10th one, here's what Moses said to him after God had just about ransacked all of Egypt and Pharaoh's heart was getting harder and harder. Here's what God told Moses to do. He said, I want you to go into the presence of Pharaoh. 
And I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And there'll be one more plague that'll fall upon the land. All the firstborn in the land will die. But I want you to go back and tell the people of God. I want you to tell my people to go out to the flocks and get a goat or a lamb without spot or without blemish. You bring it back in. If the family's too small, have them invite the neighbor family over. Y'all get in one house. Y'all slaughter that lamb. Y'all catch the blood of that lamb in a basin. And then you take and roast that lamb and you eat it. And then take the blood outside and put it on the doorpost. Slop it on the top. Slop it on the sides. It's a picture of the cross. Are you with me? Say amen. And he said, when the death angel comes in, when he sees the blood, he will pass over you. Hey, can I stop and tell you, the blood in the Bible speaks of protection. I'm glad I am protected tonight. I will never go to hell because I've been washed in the blood. I will never have to suffer, listen to me, the anxiety or the torments or the, or the flames of hell because I've been washed in the blood. The only way you're exempted from hell is the blood. Can I get a witness? Amen. But I ain't gonna stop there. Hold on a minute. Let's back up the story just a little bit. Let's go back to Moses' infant days. The Bible says that when he was born, he was born at a time when Pharaoh was not favorable. He was not pleasurable toward the people of God expanding. As a matter of fact, he gave an edict. He said, all the male babies, you throw them in the river. Ain't that the way Pharaoh's and ain't that the way hell has always tried to deal with its problem, always deal with the, with the intimidation factor and the males being thrown or killed or slaughtered. And so here's what happened. And so they, they said, I want you to throw all the male babies in the Nile River and drown them. Well, there was a mama that just believed God more than she believed the edict of hell and the edict of Pharaoh, and she took that baby and hit him for three months. You remember after three months? Evidently, he was like most babies. He could not keep quiet, and so word was getting out. There's a baby crying down there at this, this house of Jochebed and her husband, and so she takes an ark of bulrushes, and she goes out, and she puts that ark of bulrushes together, and then the Bible says she puts a very unusual son substance on the ark and the Bible said that she applied on the inside a substance called slime and a substance called pitch the first time the word pitch is mentioned in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 6 when God instructed Noah to build an ark and he said pitch it within and pitch it without. The reason why he told him to pitch it is because it was a tar-like substance that would fall into the cracks of the gopher wood so that when the judgment waters would begin to rise from beneath the fountains of the deep and God would open up the, the, the windows of heaven and the water would begin to fall, that boat would begin to float and it would not sink because it had been the crevices and cracks had been covered by the substance called pitch. It was a tar-like substance. But you know the Hebrew word for the word pitch is where we get our word for atonement. Hey, <laughs> can I get a witness? What a beautiful picture. The reason why that little ark of bulrush is floating is because mama put a substance on it that was a picture of being covered in the blood. Can I get a witness? Say amen. Hey, the reason why he did not get eaten by the crocodiles. The reason why that boat did not sink to the bottom. The reason why that little baby floated from one end of that river to the other in safety is because he had been protected by a substance that you and I know today is a tight picture of the blood. Hey, can I get a witness? Thank God I'm protected tonight. Thank God his hand is upon me. Thank God his blood's been applied and I am protected because of F.S. Damon. Can I get a witness? 
the boundary of the blood. Some of y'all to get happy tonight in the house of God that you don't have to ever go down in the judgment waters where the crocodiles and the snakes and the piranhas can eat you. Why? Because God's holding you safely in the cradle of his hand and you're covered by the blood. Hallelujah and amen. So I just said, use your sanctified imagination. Let's take it one step further. We use a biblical example. Watch this. Not only does the blood protect you, but the blood provides for you. Let me use you a, story, a little story in the Bible. Y'all ready? In the New Testament, Jesus had walked with his disciples. At the end of that tenure, he was crucified, nailed to a cross. His blood was shed. And the Bible says that they took him down off that cross. They placed him in a barred tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. It was barred because he didn't need it, but for three days. Hallelujah. Say amen. While he was in that tomb, there was a young lady, according to the book of John chapter 20. This young lady had fallen in love with this man because one day he had come by where she was and he had drew her out of her uh, lifestyle of immorality. We don't know all, what all Mary Magdalene had going on in her life, but we believe that many commentators believe that she was a woman of ill repute. She might have been a prostitute. She could have been a woman that had lived a very rugged life and Jesus rescued her from the life. And you know something? The people that are most appreciative seem to be the people that come so deep in sin and God pulled them out of sin and they look back where they were and look back where they are and they can't get over where they're going. Can I get a witness? Amen. As a child of God, if you'll keep your, listen, keep your mind reminding you where God brought you from. Remember when he found you? Oh yeah, some of y'all are in death shape. Some of y'all were a pile of nothing. Hey, listen to me. And God saved you and he's brought you this far. Don't you ever get to thinking you're something? Don't you ever get to thinking you, you're more than you really are because you're just a sinner saved by grace and but for the mercy of God, you'd still be back there in the whorehouse or, or the place of ill repute. You'd still be in the dope house. You'd still have a needle hanging out your heart. Ain't you glad that God rescues people and brings them along and this woman never got over Jesus coming by her way. Don't ever get over what God pulled you out of. Say amen. <laughs> Whoa. I'm probably just going to preach this one point, unseen boundary, and we'll quit and go eat. I've already eaten one time, and I made me an extra plate for after church. Can I get a witness? I done sweated out that ham. I'm starting to lick... I was at some church one time, I ate so much ranch dressing, I started licking my arm while I was preaching. Amen. It started coming out of pores. Looked like a cat up there. <laughs> Woo! Here's what happened. The Bible said Mary Magdalene got up one morning. She was missing this man she'd seen so long. This man that brought her peace, this man that brought her strength, this man went to go get me some ranch dressing. Say amen. <laughs> And the Bible said in John 20 and verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early in the morning while it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away. Here's what she done. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. She ran back to where Peter and John were. She said, boys, 
the stone has been rolled away and he ain't there. They started running. I believe that John was probably younger than Peter because he outran Peter and stopped at the tomb's entrance. The Bible said Peter come behind him and went impetuous Peter flying into the tomb. Well, when John got there, the Bible said he stopped and he saw the linen clothes lay. But when Peter got there, the Bible said he went flying in there and he saw the linen clothes lay and the napkin folded neatly lying about the head. Now, let me stop and tell you something here. This is good preaching, but this is not my sermon, but I'll give it to you for extra credit. That linen napkin laying up there folded was left there by our Lord for a reason. Are you with me? Say amen. I believe when he got out of, came out of those clothes, he, he said, I want to leave a message behind for an old boy that's going to come flying in here that needs a little evidence and everything's going to be all right. And so he took the time to neatly fold the headpiece up and lay it down at the foot of that grave. You see, in June, Jewish custom, they understood that very well. If you went to somebody's house, they would sit you down many times on the floor or you'd be on your knees and you'd be eating at a table. And there'd be a servant standing behind the door watching so that when you got done eating, they could slip in there, they could grab your plate, they could grab your uh, utensils and they'd take them off into a kitchen area and they'd clean them. But in this particular setting, here's what we find. Jesus left that napkin laying folded neatly because he knew Peter would fully understand what he was saying to him. Because in that day, if a man got up from eating and he was not completely done eating, he would fold his napkin beside his plate and he would go and do his business and come back. But if he was finished, he would wad the napkin up, throw it down. It would give evidence to the servant that you can clean the spot up. It's all done. But the napkin folded told the servant standing behind the door, don't touch my plate. I'm a coming back. Can I get a witness? Amen. And when he walked in that tomb and he saw that napkin folded. Hallelujah, bless your heart, honey. He looked out of that napkin and he said, praise God. He left me a sign. He's a coming back. He's not living. Oh yeah, he waffled around in the next chapter, but he had all the evidence he needed right there. Ain't that the way Jesus works? He gives you enough evidence by way of faith, by way of the word, by way of the Holy Ghost to remind you everything's going to be alright. If I took care of you back then, I'll take care of you now. And if I did it for him, I'll do it for you because I am no respecter. I said praise his name tonight. I say you ought to give God some glory that God takes care of his children. <laughs> Woo. Don't make me run a lap. Hallelujah. I hope we do do a tent meeting, preacher. I will run a lap around that tent. Amen. Can't you see a fat boy like me with a microphone taking a lap around a 5,000 square foot tent? Amen. Throwing up sawdust as he's running all over the place. Amen. Woo! They'd have the Baker County Law Enforcement up here to lock me up and change. They'd take me down the road to that little place up here. Y'all ever say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Here's what I find. The Bible said that they went running back and Mary evidently was behind them. She came to the tomb. When she got there, here's what she saw. She stuck her head in that tomb and there was at one end of it an angel standing. At the other end, there was another. It was a perfect picture of the cherubim. And she looks in there and they said, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken my Lord and I know not where they've taken him. She turns and sees Jesus, but supposing him to be a gardener. 
And he looks and says, woman, why weepest thou? She says, if you will just tell me where you've taken the body of my Lord, I will go and I will get him myself. Here's what I thought about. This woman probably wasn't more than 120 pounds, small, frail thing. And she was willing to strain every muscle in her body because she loved Jesus that much. Hey, if we could just fall in love with him, we wouldn't worry about what it took. We wouldn't worry about the little bit of strain it takes. Oh, yes, it's a little difficult sometimes in the journey, but Jesus came to this earth and went all the way to Calvary for you and me. The least I can do is strain my muscles to go and love on him. Say amen. (laughs) I'm not done. I'm heading to a point here. Y'all with me? Say amen. This point's like a barbed wire fence. It's got a bunch of points, but is it ever going to get to an end? Say amen. (laughs) I'm headed somewhere. Say amen. The Bible said as she turns around, he reveals herself to her and naturally she does what anybody would have done. She wanted to go and hug him and he said, touch me not. Oh yeah. Exactly, I'll tell you what she said because I got the Bible right here and I'll quote it verbatim. He looked at her and he said to her as she tried to touch him, touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren and say unto them I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and your God why did Jesus tell her not to touch him now here's what happens you look at the timeline and and about 8 to 10 days later he shows back up in a room And when he walks in the room, Thomas had already been complaining to the other disciples, I won't believe unless I touch him. And when he walked back in the room, 10 days later, the Bible says after eight days again, his disciples were within, and that's after a day or two of time passes by. It said this, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then he saith to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Why would he tell her not to touch him? But just a few days later, he would say, Thomas, throw your finger fingers in my wounds, son, and touch me all over. Because in that period of time, Jesus did something that was necessary to be done. Jesus went back as he told Mary, I ascend to my father, my God, and your God. And when he got to heaven, he walked into the mercy seat of heaven he walked into the holy of holies of heaven and he presented his blood to the father the father turned and applied it to the mercy seat and he said satisfied 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 we'll not need another priest to go one time a year you won't need a a curtain that's why he tore it in half upon Calvary it was ripped from top to bottom why that old Judaism that old way of, of doing things was over it was gone and now the blood had been applied thank God because of that I have provision and I have protection thank God for the blood say amen if she'd have touched him she'd have tainted it that's why she, he said touch me not he took that blood back to heaven let me give you this I think it'll be helpful we'll give an invitation I got two more points but you don't want me to preach them all say amen <laughs> Whoa, the older I get the smarter I get I realize that your head can only stand as much as your seat can can I get a witness say amen I was studying about David Livingston. David Livingston, I I guess, Stephen, you and Amanda slip up here. Maybe y'all can do the invitation tonight. David Livingston. He was a man that that the Bible said that he blazed a trail into Africa because he loved those people in Africa. 
His body's buried in Westminster Abbey. When David Livingston died, they tell me that they found him on his knees in his hut. They tell me that the native Amer- the, the natives uh, of, of that region in Africa, as they were ready to take his body back to his homeland where he was born and was to be buried, they said, no, you can have his body, but we're going to take his heart. Because his heart belongs here because he loved the people of this country so much. And they extracted his heart, buried it in the souls of Africa, and sent his body back to England. But David Livingston, in one of his memoirs, said this. He said he was trying to do his best to reach. He was trying to do his best to reach the, the native people in the bush area of Africa. And as he was going into these bush areas, he was having to get native guides to lead him and people that could interpret and know the languages. And, and he was going into one specific region and, and, and he could not find a, a, a tour guide or a native guide to lead him in because they were so fearful. Here's what they said to David. They said, David, you're a white man. And if you go into this area, it's hostile to white men and they will kill you and they'll kill me because I'm with you. David said, I want to win these people. How can we get in? And one native God said this. He said, the only way I will take you into this territory is if you promise and commit to make a covenant with the chief of that region. David thought, well, if that's all I got to do, I'll make a covenant so I can preach the gospel. Had no idea what it entailed as they made their way through that region. Sure enough, they were met by hostiles and, and the native guide through the interpretation said he wants to make a covenant with the chief. They brought him to the chief. When he got to the chief, the chief, uh, uh, through the interpreter, they began to converse. They set this, this scenario up. They said that, that the chief took a cup and took a knife and slid his wrist. And he caught the blood in a cup. When he got done, he, he took that cup in his hand and he, he handed it over to David. He said, through the native guy, he said, now you do the same. David thought, I didn't bargain for this. David started arguing with the native guy saying, no, no, I'm not going to cut my wrist. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to do this. And the native guy said, no, you'll do it because if you don't do it now, they will kill us. David reluctantly grabbed that cup and he slid his wrist and in that cup, they caught his blood and then Then the chief took the cup, took a twig, and he stirred it up. And he took a drink of that blood. He handed it back over to David. and He said, now you do the same. And David's thinking, I didn't bargain for this, but if this will get me in to preach to those people, I'll I'll do it. He took a drink of that blood. And when he got done, here's what the chief said. The chief said, now everything that you own belongs to me. I want your goat. David had a pet goat. He had ulcers. He had left behind everything and the only thing he had that was precious to him was this goat because it produced goat's milk and he could drink that to, to, to soothe the ulcers in his stomach. The, the tribal chief said, I'll take you goat. I want your clothes that you have with you in that sack and that money and that little bit of food. And David thought, what, what do I get in exchange? And then, then the chief reached over and grabbed a scepter with an emblem on the top and he said, I'll give you this. David walked away, and in his memoirs, this is what he said. He said, man, I got the bad end of the stick. He said he got the goat. He got everything that was precious to him, and I got this stupid old stick with some kind of emblem on top. He was told, keep the stick as you travel through the region. As they were making their way out of there, David thought, man, this was a failure and a flop. 
All I got is this old stick. They made their way, and sure enough, they come up on another hostile group of people. And as they was making their advancement toward them with, with arrows and machetes and swords, all of a sudden, they all fell down on their face. David said, what are they doing? And that, that native guy said, your stick. You see, the emblem on the top, it, it means that, that you're under his authority. This king of this region, this, this chief of the region has given you the stick of authority. And everybody knows if they mess with you, they mess with him. And David proudly began to walk from, from village to village with that scepter, knowing everybody in those villages would submit to him because he had a greater authority with him. It was a scepter. Can I stop and tell you tonight? The truth of the matter is, when you're scared, just hold up the scepter. Jesus made a covenant with you and me. He shed his blood. He applied it to our account. And we've been given the royal emblem of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And, and when the devil tries to harass you, know this. You've got great provision. And you've got the king's authority with you. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Thank God the reason why the enemy would not advance is because of F.S. Damon. I said it was because of an unseen boundary. Ain't you glad that as a child of God, the blood is still flowing through that brook and the enemy can taunt you, they can talk about you, they can Facebook you, they can do all they want to do, but they cannot touch you because they'd have to come across the unseen boundary. Can I get a witness? I believe mostly what we have here tonight is Christians. By the way, can I just give you the last two? Just throw them out so you'll have them. You know the reason why they did not advance? Because of an unflinching son. David walked down to that valley, stood between them and the enemy and said, you got to come to them, you're coming through me. Can I get a witness? Say amen. We have the Son of God living inside of us and thank God the enemy is scared to death of Jesus. They tremble. The demons tremble at his voice. They tremble at his power. They tremble at him. Why? Because he is the authority that stands between us and hell. Say amen. And then finally, there was an unusual weapon. David just took a sling and a stone. Walked out there and defeated the enemy. They were intimidated and we're more than conquerors because of an unusual weapon. Do, do you, ain't you glad for your Bible? Do you, do you appreciate the fact that God gave you an unusual weapon to fight the good fight of faith? You're not by yourself. You got 66 books. You got 31,000 verses, 1189 chapters. Praise God. You got the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and it is an unusual weapon tonight. Say amen. You're more than a conqueror in your duty because of an unseen boundary an unflinching son and an unusual weapon. Here's what I want to ask you tonight. How many of you would just take a minute, maybe it's been a while since you've just stopped and not laid a grocery list down at the feet of Jesus, but you'll just for just a moment say, Jesus, I want to thank you for the blood. Oh God, your blood is the reason why I have forgiveness tonight. Your blood is the reason why I'm more than a conqueror tonight. Your blood is the reason why I can walk in victory and hold my head up tonight and not walk around in fear and defeat 
and anxiety and walk around in disappointment and depression. You are the reason, and I thank God for the blood. You know what? I believe a church that gets over the blood gets, gets rid of the power. Can I get a witness? Amen. <laughs> Is it real blood? Oh, you asked Mary if it was real blood. She'd tell you it was real. Was it real blood? You asked the apostle John who walked with him all these years and watched the blood congeal and, and, and come down and drip down his toes. You could have caught it in the ball. It was real blood. That, that blood was applied for you and me. It's an unseen boundary. Here's what I want to do. My daughter's going to sing. How many of you join me for a minute and just thank God for the blood? Oh yeah, listen. You say, preacher, should I do that? <laughs> Why wouldn't you do that? It's the reason why you're saved tonight. It's the reason why hell can't touch you tonight. It'd be something to give God some glory for. Would you come and just thank him? Just love on him a minute. Oh yeah, he wants you to touch him tonight. <laughs> he won't say, touch me not. He says, come near and let's just fellowship together. Would you do that? She's singing. Would you come right now?